when one generation passed away, they left a pretty good legacy for the next generation. And for instance, my mom was able to retire. Uh, I think it was 55 years old um, when her parents passed away. And uh, you know, if if something like that were to come about, that I'm able to uh, leave that legacy for my children at a certain age, so they'd have a little bit more freedom, or even just helping them, their families out with uh, whether it's college or kids or or things like that. I want to make sure they're living a, a frugal life, but are able to enjoy it. And I feel many of the sacrifices I've taken at a young age will allow that for not only myself as I get older, but also for my family. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 261. Man, it is full swing into fall and we have a phenomenal episode today. I am super excited about it. But before we get into that, I wanted to just give a follow-up. You know, we, were, we had a question posed to, to listeners last week. What experiences were worth spending the most money on? And I've generated, we've received quite a few responses actually. And I wanted to read a couple of these uh, just so that we have some follow-up. And some of our, our listeners have asked for this it, for quite some time now. We'll have some context around these. I'm not going to share every single one, but did want to share a, a couple here. The first couple come from a listener named Dwayne. He says, not sure if this counts, but travel working, i.e. travel hacking and being a beach ski bum. In my late teens and 20s, and late teens and early 20s while in college and just out of college, I took jobs based on getting to see the world rather than pay. It definitely cost me money as I could have been making larger investment contributions, but it was worth every second. During those years, I probably invested only 10 to 20% of every dollar that I earned. Said another is any vacation that my wife and I go on. Everyone is special in a different way. Road tripping to see a solar eclipse, scuba diving in Thailand, seeing Hawaii, Camping through a hailstorm so bad it busted windows out of cars a few campsites down. Staying in questionable Airbnbs that were cheap for a reason. Wandering down Bourbon Street in New Orleans, etc. And the last one he said is hiking about one-third of the Appalachian Trail. Wish you could have done it all, but had to go to Alaska for seasonal work. So appreciate you sending those in, Dwayne. I wanted to read another one. This one comes from Jimmy. He said, Travel. Yearly, weekly vacations with my siblings and their families, two trips to Israel with my wife and daughter, weekend mini vacations with my wife exploring Florida. And then he also said off-Broadway plays, concert and concerts, and local theater. And I'm going to read one last one from Julie. She says, travel without a doubt. But when travel, upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. We never did this when we were first married. And we didn't even do it when we had young kids, but then we started doing it. And that is the things and experiences that all of my kids now talk about. The things that we did when we upgraded. Stayed at a nicer hotel, they talk about the hotel. We stayed at a nicer, or we went and ate at a nicer restaurant, they continue to talk about that restaurant. Had some better experiences, more first class experiences. That's what they continue to talk about. It wasn't that we didn't spend money on some of our travel earlier, 
we just didn't appreciate some of the things that you can get when you do and are willing to spend a little bit more money to make these experiences much more entertaining and valuable, especially when you're only doing them a few times a year. So appreciate that from Julie. Wonderful submissions. I know I can't get to every single one of them. I think for our listeners, without a doubt, the experiences in travel, bar none, uh, out, outpace any you know monetary expenditure on things. Uh, for example, you know things that you might have in your house or a bigger house or whatever it might be. Still waiting for a few of those. I you know I'm sure they're out there. And people appreciate spending some money on on certain things, but for the most part, without a doubt, uh, travel and experiences has been by far the the most uh, valuable thing that people spend money on. So for this week's episode, we have Jeff. He's a community college administrator. His net worth is 1.1 million, and about half of that is in various retirement accounts. We discuss leaving a legacy, attending the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, which he has done multiple times. He's 44. He began investing in his Roth a year after they became available, and he was raised by a single mom. So a tremendous story. We get a tremendous conversation with Jeff. You do not want to miss today's episode. Last week, we had Tyson. He's an electrician for the government, and his wife works in retail. He has a net worth of about $1.3 million, and he joined us all the way from Australia. So go check out that episode. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Jeff. Jeff, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, so I am uh, from the Midwest. I am a community college administrator, and uh, I, I have a decent income, but nothing huge. Uh, father of four children and uh, married to my wife now 10 years. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? Uh, right around 1.1 million. Congrats on being a millionaire. So what what is the breakup of the 1.1? I have uh, 620-ish uh, thousand in retirements, mixture of uh, Roth, IRAs, uh, traditional IRAs, and uh, employer 401k, 403bs. Um, about uh, 12% is in uh, non-retirement planned. Uh, just just sitting there in investments, about 7% in cash and about 26% or so in real estate. Wow. So you've got a pretty even split. Was that always the case? Was that the plan? Uh, it wasn't necessarily the plan from a very early on. I was always interested in finance. So I read uh, even in high school, a number of financial books and that one of my life goals was, okay, I want to get published for some research. I want to become a millionaire and a few other things. And uh, so far, uh, I've gotten a couple of those checked off my list. Interesting. So let's back up here. The money that you've got invested in retirement accounts or tax protected accounts, is that primarily in stocks, index funds, bonds? It's a blend of mutual funds and stocks, individual stocks. I have about about 60% of it is in the Roth and the rest are in IRAs. Most of the IRA is when I left an employer, I rolled their retirement over to the traditional IRA. And I've been slowly converting those to Roths as uh, the taxes work out each year. And so let's talk about that for just a second. So you're doing a Roth conversion on that traditional IRA money. Was a Roth not available when you were initially putting it in, you know, several years ago to that previous employer? So uh, the the Roths, 
I've, I've always invested in a Roth separate from my employer. Mm-hmm. Uh, since I was 21, I've been maxing out my Roth. Back then, it was a maximum of $2,000 a year. Uh, granted, I wasn't making much money in some of the time I was in college even, so I had to scrape by. But I've been very diligent about maxing out my Roth from way back in that time. Uh, I think there's only been one year that I wasn't able to max it out uh, completely. And then uh, my employer, I've traditionally worked in higher education and they have typically have very good matching plans. And so that goes into their retirement system. And then as I've left an an employer, uh, in most cases, I've rolled that over to the traditional IRA just so I have more control over it. And then I begin starting, uh, I begin to do the Roth conversion uh, like I said, each year, depending on what our taxes are going to be. Why have you done that conversion over the last few years or several years? Well, initially, uh, I saw it as, as, as my net worth was growing more and more. I saw that as a avenue to leave a legacy with my children where they could take that and build upon it. Now that some of the uh, inheritance rules has changed to, what is it, the 10-year they have to get it out of the Roth within 10 years. My motivation quite isn't isn't quite as high. The other part is just running the numbers, seeing how growing uh, tax-free, uh, the numbers just work out, especially when you have a long investment horizon like uh, I, I had when I started and really to this day I still have. And so what were you planning? Were you planning on giving some of that to your kids then as part of their inheritance? Correct. Uh, my family, they, they work really hard and they live a fairly frugal life. Uh, and that's what I saw growing up with my grandparents, with my mom, is when, when one generation passed away, they left a pretty good legacy for the next generation. And for instance, my mom was able to retire uh I think it was 55 years old um, when her parents passed away. And, uh, you know, if, if something like that were to come about, that I'm able to uh, leave that legacy for my children at a certain age so they'd have a little bit more freedom or even just helping them, their families out with uh, whether it's college or kids or, or things like that. I want to make sure they're living a, a frugal life, but are able to enjoy it. And I feel many of the sacrifices I've taken at a young age will allow that for not only myself as I get older, but also for my family. Interesting. So you didn't have a number pegged, so to speak, for them. It was just, hey, I'm going to put this away. If I don't use it and I pass, I'm able to give that to them in a, in a more tax-protected way than maybe doing it another way? Yeah, correct. You know, that, that kind of triggered a, a, a memory for myself. I was very close with my grandparents and uh, they'd traveled to Arizona every winter as snowbirds. And I traveled for the first 16 years of my life. 14 of them were down there over Christmas. And I remember sitting in the swimming pool at the trailer park that they would stay at down there with snowbirds and thinking to myself, just running numbers through my head. And and I had to have been sixth grade at the most at the time thinking if I had a million dollars that would generate at 5% interest uh, back then CDs were paying that uh, at 5% interest, I'd be $50,000 a year and I'd have all the more of the money that I'd ever need. So I could just take it easy from then on out. Well, uh, as, as you get older, things change and whatnot. So that's kind of where my million dollars idea came from. Uh, now, uh, the numbers that I'd run would be 1.82 million tie area. And uh, I would 
could take a step back from uh, working and maybe uh, pursue some other uh, uh, opportunities out there. But uh, no, it was never my intent initially to be able to leave a legacy to my children. But uh, the older I get, I see that's much more possible. But, uh, you know, I also support some charities, some things like that. And I, I certainly want to put my support behind those type of endeavors also as time comes, goes. Yeah, lot, so lots to get in here, Jeff. Uh, just, I was making a list here on my notes as you were mentioning. Great. So, no, it's great. It's great. So how old were you when you became a millionaire? Let me start there. Uh, 43. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for a while, and I, I always thought, you know, I'm getting closer and closer to that number. And I, I don't sit down and, and look at my net worth maybe on an annual basis. Uh, I found that the best thing to do is buy stocks uh, or, or buy investments and, that you plan on owning for the rest of your life and leaving it there. Um, it's like Warren Buffett uh, makes a comment like that, which uh, other than the last two years, I haven't been able to go to the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. But prior to that, I went 15 years in a row. And Did the, you really? Just, yeah. Wow. All my kids have been, been there. Um, I, we, guess, I guess it's worth it, huh? It's definitely worth it. Uh, not only just the deals that you get while you're there, which we've spent plenty, we've gotten plenty of uh, washing machines, dryers, all those sort of things. But just listening to Charlie and Warren talk and the other people that you run into there and the discussions you have with them standing in line for a drink or, or whatever it is, it's, uh, it's, it's a real education that I feel has been worthwhile. Hmm, that's really interesting. So 43, which is, is that your current age? Uh, I just had a birthday a month or so ago, so I'm 44 okay. now. Okay, so so mid-40s here. So let me go back to something that you mentioned, Jay. So you said you've been maxing out your IRA for, what would you say, about 20 years? 22 uh, years or something? About 22 years. Okay, so that takes us back to about 1999. Roths started in 98, so you really started with Ross right after they became a thing. Correct. How did Correct. you get into that so quick? Because there's a lot of people that didn't really know it existed until mid-2000s. Yeah, so uh, like I said, uh, finance is something that's always interested me. Uh, I was in undergrad at the time, and I had an internship in uh, Gary, Indiana. And I remember listening to the talk radio at nighttime. I was in my apartment by myself. Um and there were financial podcasts that would come on. Back then, the Rick Edelman show was on. And uh, I picked up one of his books and read that at that time. And I saw this, you know, if you just start investing when you're young and max it out, you'll as you get older, you'll never have to worry about money. Well, I was still uncertain about investments. So my first investments were with Vanguard because I knew that they were a low-cost provider and whatnot. And uh, I started buying their star fund, which is a blend of funds. It had uh, large cap, small cap bonds and uh, cash equivalencies in it. And I just knew, okay, I'm going to put my money in there. It's fairly well diversified. No one in my family really ever invested in stocks and mutual funds. They always put it into banks and CDs. So uh, it, for me, it was a big risk to go out there and invest in mutual funds. Well, then as I began reading more and more, uh, I realized, you know, I need to get a, a more direct, uh, not direct, but 
a, a stronger foothold into large caps, small caps. I didn't necessarily need the bond allotment that I had, and I certainly didn't need as much cash sitting around as I had. So how much cash, so to transfer that to now, does that affect how much you, cash you keep on hand now? I probably keep substantially more cash on hand than what I need, but my uh, I've had some good luck with opportunities coming along. Uh, I was previously married before my wife now, and one of those things uh, right after we got married is a duplex came on the market. And we were still living in an apartment. So uh, I was fortunate. I was still in grad school. We were able to purchase a the duplex with 20% down. So we didn't have to pay PMI, anything like that. The numbers worked out really good for that duplex. So our tenant paid the entire mortgage. And then we lived on the other side of it. And it also had a workshop on site. And I, a hobby of mine is building custom furniture. So it, it worked out really well for, uh, I guess now we call it house hacking. I just saw it as a great opportunity. So having that cash on hand allows me to come across opportunities like that when they're, when they, they come up. And I think some of those are more valuable than, uh, I get a higher return than if they were just in the general stock market at, at times. Yeah. But you've sold that, right? You don't have any real estate anymore? I, I do. I don't. Uh, I only have my house. Uh, when uh, my ex and I divorced, uh, that was part of the um, assets and uh, we, we sold it. Sometimes I kick myself for not buying it um, at that time, but uh, I no longer live in that area. So I'd have to have remote owner, uh, remote management of it and whatnot. But I ended up owning that uh, property for 10 years. I lived in it for five years. Uh, after I moved out, I bought an acreage that I redid everything with, working on it myself, additions, gutted the entire thing, electrical, insulation, drywall, all that good stuff. Wow. And my duplex with their tenants paid for the duplex, but also paid my mortgage on the house that I was working on, plus the the other parts of it. <laughs> so it, it really worked out well. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, no other real estate besides your home you just mentioned. How come no HSA? My current employer offers the HSA and I never had that before. And uh, having four young children and there's no matching for the SHA, HSA for my current employer, uh, the numbers just didn't work out for us. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't go down that route when uh, when I first started with my current employer, it was within the first two weeks, my daughter broke her arm and I knew I wouldn't be able to, um, you know, pay for that necessarily out of pocket or, and I certainly didn't have that much, wouldn't be able to have that much in the HSA. So right now we're still doing the traditional. My income's relatively low. It's just over 80,000 a year. And, uh, you know, for a family of six total, uh, we, and investing in the Roth IRA each month, our, our budget's pretty tight. And being able to pay that additional is a little more than what we decided we could handle. Jeff, it's pretty remarkable. You've got, you know, this income that's grown, but obviously you started early investing in the Roth, something that was pretty new at the time you did it. Grown this to a million dollars. You've got several years ahead of you. Do you ever think of just taking the foot off the gas a little bit and, and not contributing quite as much and maybe spending more? That's something that I really struggle with right now. I, it was interesting 
once my wife and I saw that, hey, we we hit that million dollar mark, um, it was quite a relief because I can see, you know, that exponential growth and and how well uh, it's going to pay off and has paid off. Uh, we have done a couple extra things uh, that I I don't have that internal worry about finances quite as much, but. I'm still maxing out the IRA. I'm still diligent about what we what what we spend money on. We we do do some, like I said, extra things that we've been doing this summer with the kids since we realized we hit that number. But I'm still motivated to keep saving at least for the time being at the rate that I have been. Do you have any idea how long you'll keep at that pace? Not necessarily. I, I feel my job is fairly secure, so I'm going to keep saving for sure. But if something were to happen with my position, uh, I could certainly take a step back and maybe more deliberately seek out other opportunities out there, maybe change uh, career fields or or something of that nature. Uh, I've always wanted to dip my toe a little deeper into the world of entrepreneurship, but it's a very scary thing uh, for me to do. Much like investing in the stock market, no one in my family uh, that that I, I'm close to has ever done anything like that. So it's a very, uh, it's a big risk. And I'd like to make sure that there's enough money there to generate funds for us to live off of uh, and, and then maybe uh, explore some of those, those things. So like I said before, maybe, you know, the $2 million mark. Uh, might give me a little bit more relief that way. I, I know that'd be generating the type of income that I already produce. Even with the 4% withdrawal rates, I wouldn't be as concerned. Where do you go from here? If if you're going to continue at the rate you're going, is there that target number that you would slow down or that maybe you would take that leap into entrepreneurship? Or are you trying to get to a certain level that'll give you enough you know, peace of mind to, to walk away from a, from a normal W-2 job? I think it would be depend on the opportunity. Does it pass a litmus test? Is it realistic that I could make um, make enough to support my family uh, in the area that we live um, to keep going to the schools that we go to and, and whatnot? Uh, if the right opportunity came along that, that was more entrepreneurship-based, I'd certainly take that dive. And, and that's why there's some of that cash sitting aside is if something like that were to come a- along. But uh, I, I don't have anything set in stone or in my mind related to that at this point. Do you think you'll probably work towards that traditional retirement age into your 60s? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> uh, I think at, at the rate the that my funds are growing, and granted, we will have a setback and whatnot, but if I continue to be disciplined and whatnot, I'd, I'd like to retire uh, or earlier. And that's another thing that's in my family and my history uh, that I've seen many times is my mom retired when she was 55. She still did a little part-time work just uh, for fun, but uh, they travel down to Florida every year to give kids a world and volunteer all winter long with uh, with families that uh, have some sort of disability or whatnot and the children and, and Make-A-Wish Foundation, things like that. And, you know, I want to be able to support those type of projects and get involved with those sort of things as long as my finances allow me to. And, and I had a great example with my mom to see that. How did you get the the nerve or the 
the uh, ability to start investing in the stock market when nobody else in your family had or anybody you hadn't been around. And then go to the meeting at Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty crazy. I don't know anybody that's been as much as you have. Yeah, so uh, it kind of like my family's very anti-debt. And that's how I was raised is no, don't, don't borrow money except for a house or an appreciable asset. And I remember filling out the application for my first credit card. And I was super nervous. I almost tore the thing up multiple times and whatnot because I'd heard so many horror stories about credit cards and whatnot. And uh, it was very much the same thing when I was filling out uh, my application for Vanguard to start investing in money. And I figured, you know what? It's not that much. I can do this. Uh, because back then it was $2,000 a year, even as a college student, uh, it, it was a risk though. And I was very nervous, but I weighed, I weighed that out by buying that, that star fund, the fund of funds and that I felt had a good, uh, cash holding, a good bond holding, and then a good mixture of, uh, small caps, large caps, international funds. So I figured if, if anything, I am protected by a fund that doesn't have large drops, but still has exposure to the stock market. And it took me, I'd say, five years before I started just putting money into the total stock market and small cap index and things individually. And then it was another uh, five years or so before I just started buying some individual stocks all uh, as a mixture with that. So, so Jeff, let's back up here. And I, I know we kind of jumped into everything, and now we're going to really back up to your story. But I'm curious, you mentioned you had the good example of your mom on finances. You mentioned to us before we started recording the show that you grew up with a single mom, right, and your sister. How did that affect your upbringing, your life, and, and your thinking about finances? And, and really just kind of take us back to what's your story here? How did you get involved in the job you're in? You know, yes, I was I was raised by a single mom uh, along with my sister. She was a nurse for 36 years in labor and delivery. She uh, that's back when nurses did not make much money. Uh, I remember her telling us once she went seven years without a raise. Due to that, and, and our dad wasn't really in the picture. He'd come by once in a while, maybe once in a month, every two three months, and. With that income from my mom, we lived a very frugal life. Uh, we, we never did anything too extravagant, uh, but we never realized that we didn't have much money. But due to her frugality, she saved diligently. She made sure she did not go into debt. And uh, that was a great example. Now, couple that with my dad, who um, kind of lived the opposite uh, mindset of that. And I, I remember hearing a story once about when they were married. Uh, my mom went to go buy a new car and she went down to the car dealership and she came back without the car. And my dad w- said, well, where's the new car? And she said, I didn't have enough money. And his comment back was, well, you just get a loan and went down there and got the car with her with a loan. And apparently my grandfather went ballistic when he he heard that. But, uh, (laughs) you know, very, very understandable. And, you know, it was just one of those things growing up there, there weren't credit card debt. We, if we didn't have the money, we didn't get it. Uh, we, uh, yet we didn't know that we didn't have much. And that was a great, great lesson. We didn't go out to eat much, um, and, and whatnot. And those really formed the way I lived my life now. 
I'll admit, especially when I was married to my first wife, uh, I was still in graduate school. She was working as a teacher and uh, we had a rule of going out to eat once a week. And uh, I used to get in a lot of trouble when I considered going to McDonald's once a week, going out to eat. Um, but I knew our finances, I, they were tight. We wanted to, I, I wanted to conserve uh, those funds because I knew by doing that down the road, life would be a lot easier. And, and I'll say, even with our rental property that her and I owned, and even throughout the divorce, uh, we didn't have any kids, so it was a very, and we didn't have any debt. It was a very easy divorce, but uh, she got a substantial amount of funds from that divorce. And uh, if she manages them correctly, uh, she's pretty set for life also. And that was kind of a step back for me financially, but because of how I was raised, I can weather those little storms as they come along. Hopefully I answered that question. <laughs> no, no, it was great. And, and then I guess my follow-up to that would be, how does your upbringing impact how you're teaching your kids about money now? So, uh, yeah, so the Berkshire Hathaway meetings, um, I had always read how amazing they were. And then I realized, shoot, they're in Omaha. So I might as well, uh, back then, I the Class B shares were, I want to say $2,000 a share, something along that why line. Are we talking, so, why are we talking Class B, Jeff? I thought you were <laughs> Class A. <laughs> so, so <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we have a joke. So when, uh, when we get those shares, I went the first time with just one Class B, and I took a, a friend's brother that was graduating from uh, the business school at University of Iowa. And uh, it, it was just a really neat opportunity to be able to take him and, and, and go there for the first time. And I learned so much. So with my kids, going back to that, uh, we, we take them uh, each year uh, that we're able to go. And we talk a lot about the Berkshire Hathaway ideas, Warren Buffett's concepts. Uh, they have the uh, children's, Warren Buffett's developed the children's financial uh, series. And they've all heard, seen the videos, read the books, things like that, or we've read them to them. But that kind of brings up a, a very good point. When we are at the Berkshire Hathaway meeting with our children, we make sure they know when they talk to other people to, especially if they have kids, the first question is how many class A shares do you own? So. <laughs> and then you pick your friends off of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But no, in all seriousness, we're very open about our finances. Being raised, it's not like finances were ever hidden. Uh, we, My mom took my sister and I to get our first checking accounts when I want to say we were about eight years old. And we learned how to fill out checkbook checks and, and check uh, what savings accounts were back then. Uh, she had us buy CDs from with our birthday money, things like that. Uh, so we we were exposed to a lot of those things while well, now with debit cards and credit cards and a cashless society for the most part it's a little different dynamic but we're very open with our children talking about the investing and entrepreneurship uh, I'd, I'd love it if they didn't have a fear of going out and doing business on their own so my uh, nine-year-old this summer, he's now he just turned ten. Uh, he's been mowing mowing lawns, and we'll sit down and discuss. Okay, how much per hour did you just make mowing that lawn? Or you could go someplace else and work for you know considerably less. Of course, he's too young to be working, but just give him the idea that you know what you're making really good money 
doing this sort of thing, you're more than welcome to use my mower. Uh, I have aerators that hopefully as my kids get older and they go out, they can take those out and and, and uh, use those uh, to generate revenue. I try to enable them to find value and in things and be able to turn that into a profit. We just got off a little spending spree of buying some used uh, mini bikes, the little motorized mini bikes, and we've been working those up. And I've told them we got them for a good deal. We're putting some elbow grease into them. You're getting to ride them and have fun. And in the springtime, we can probably sell those for a profit. And you'll be able to get, keep that profit. And you can choose what you want to do with that. I hope that you make the choice to uh, invest that in, in something else as uh, as time goes. Hmm. That's really neat, really neat. So just for our listeners, your class B today, I looked up Berkshire Hathaway's trading for about $285. Class A, 430700 <laughs> it, it went up 1.34% today. So if you own class A, you made $5,700 today. Nice, nice. Not too yeah. shabby, right? Yeah. I don't have quite uh, the equivalent to that many shares. Yeah. Well, and you got to keep in mind that that class B split a couple times. True. As they, uh, well, especially when they bought uh, Burlington Northern Santa Fe, which I live fairly close to the Mississippi River and a railroad track. And there's a Burlington Northern Santa Fe train going by me right now. So that's also fun to be able to point out to my kids, hey, we own a portion of that company and be able to explain to them how business and investing works. So I think that's an advantage they're going to have that I just never had. Yeah, neat, neat. So let me jump or keep going here on the kids. You mentioned to Jace earlier about talking a little bit about legacy and leaving money with kids and you want them to be able to to live. You want them to be living a frugal life, but still be able to enjoy the money. So have you have you and your wife thought much about how much to leave them or as this net worth continues to grow? I mean, what does that look like? We're still looking to see uh, as as our net worth grows, um, how we'd want to handle that. Um, you know, it really depends on how the market does over the next hopefully 40, 60 years or so. But it's certainly in the back of our minds. Even in our estate planning that we've already done, uh, we have a couple safeguards in there to make sure that it isn't uh, a young kid left with substantial funds if something were to happen to her and I. And uh, hopefully they'll be able to, whatever we do leave them, they'll be able to utilize it to to better their lives, maybe go down an entrepreneurship uh, track, you know, any I guess the world is their oyster. They're, they'd be able to do what they want. And we haven't spoken about specific numbers or specific goals in in leaving that. But like I said, uh, the example left for me is how my mom has been able to go and do a lot of volunteer work at, uh, at a, a number of different organizations that she's passionate about. And she's also been able to make some um, decent donations to those uh, organizations. I'd love to be in a position that I'd be able to do that and still leave a bit of a legacy with my kids and pass on that, uh, those concepts, uh, kind of prepare them that you don't have to work about it, worry about a W-2. You can enjoy life, but you have to be responsible and hopefully support uh, the community that you live in or, or those organizations that you're passionate for. So, Jeff, you, you made millionaire. You became a millionaire young to mid-40s, right? Did that happen sooner than you thought, later than you thought? Did you think you would make it here as quick as you did, or did it take longer than you thought it would? Uh, of course, I wish it would have happened quicker. Reflecting back, uh, my net worth is, I, I'm trying to remember, I looked it up recently because every year or two, I do 
let's sit down and really look at the numbers and I write it on a back of an envelope and then I throw it into a safe. And uh, my net worth has about tripled in the past 10 years. And so that that was a huge surprise to me. Normally, when I'm figuring out in my mind the rate of return, I, I make the assumption that the funds will double every 10 years. So to see it doubling every 3.3 years was was quite shocking to myself. It came much quicker than what I was anticipating, especially figuring out this 10-year doubling, and it was really occurring in every 3.3 years. Uh, that that was quite a shock. And of course, everybody tells you that you know that first million's the hardest; the next ones come much easier. Well, we'll see. I I'm still a little uh, hesitant about believing that quite yet. Did you worry about money? Do you still worry about money? I I worry about day to day my my cash flow. Yeah, I, I certainly do. And at what point or what net worth do you think you'd have to have or what cash flow or however you measure that until you don't worry as much? I, I think around the $2 million mark, uh, I, I, I'd i feel more comfortable uh, maybe being able to offset my annual income with investments uh, or maybe even more than that. Uh, another little dream of mine I had when I was younger was it'd be great to make $1,000 a day. And for so long, I've thought, okay, uh, I've got to find a job that's going to pay me that much. And my track record, uh, the, the field I'm in just doesn't pay that much. But then uh, recently it came across my my thinking that, uh, well, why couldn't my investments churn that much money every year, uh, you know, every year? And mm-hmm. uh, that that's, that's something that's kind of stuck in my mind. If I could grow my assets enough that at a, uh, like a 4% growth rate, it was turning off $1,000 a day. Wow, that that's just so unfathomable to me but uh the more i think about it 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 may be something that's that's reachable Hmm. do you budget we do a rough budget it's not nailed down um in specifics uh but we have a rough amount that we spend on groceries each month Uh, we know what our housing costs are Uh, we own all of our vehicles uh, outright Uh, i do all the maintenance on them uh, n- none of them are, are new. I, I think the vehicle that has the fewest miles has 186,000 miles on it. But we know what our costs are in general, and then we have that cash reserve for emergencies if they if they pop up. Yeah, and no other debt besides the mortgage. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So what motivates you now, Jeff? Is it to to grow what you just mentioned to grow that passive income to to you know that thousand dollars a day if that's the goal and how has that motivated motivation shifted through the years since realizing i had hit the millionaire status uh my thinking has changed some and i start to realize that uh, i don't have to work as hard and i can spend some more time with my children and uh, that's something that's that I'm still trying to grasp, and uh, I, I want to be there with them closer. And some of that's from my past of not having dad in the picture. And I, you know, I don't have a good example of what it's like to be a dad. I know I make a lot of mistakes, but I also uh, want to be there and and let and make sure they know that that I'm around. Financially speaking, I'm kind of on cruise control right now, so I'm so used to putting this money away, investing um, into the Roth IRA every year. Uh, my employer, uh, it's kind of a mandatory uh, matching system that they have, so I don't have much of a choice with that. And I don't want to 
spend more than what I'm bringing in each month. And right now that's that's very limited on income. So for the time being, I'll continue to save and invest uh, just like I have been for the past 22 years or so. Jeff, you've got quite a uh, story and also just, you know, I commend you on the amount of time that it, I'm sure you've spent thinking about this for your kids and, and also putting together your estate plan. How long ago did that start? Well, again, I've always enjoyed reading financial literature and, mm-hmm. and books and, and videos and and. Uh, learning about finance, and that's just one of the topics that had always said get your get your affairs and your estate in order. So uh, even prior to kids, I had a will. I felt that was an important thing to have set up. It it wasn't anything ex- extravagant by any means. And then once I started having kids, I wanted to make sure that uh, the funds that I did have when I started having kids uh, were would be allocated to them the best way possible if, if I wasn't in the picture. So we went through the state planning process, my wife and I did um, at that time when when we had kids. Is that something that you visit every year? Uh, we think about it. it. It's a fairly general and fairly sp- specific uh, estate plan as it's set up right now. So it doesn't need much adjusting just be due to the age and stage that we're at. Um, as kids get older, we certainly will need to go back and make some modifications to it. Does your family or, or friends know of your wealth? We have one family member that that we've let know. Otherwise, no. They're, they're very much, uh, none of them uh, realize uh, where we're at. What about your kids? Uh, no. Uh, my kids are actually very curious of why I'm being interviewed for a podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> And they they keep asking, well, what's the name of the podcast? And I'm I'm trying to remain fairly general with it. So uh, it's something I don't necessarily want them to go to school and uh, and say to to others. But uh, I like them. My oldest is 14. We have four to 14. All right. So they could get it, right? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. It's almost our 10 year old and would get it the most. So (laughs) when when do you plan on sharing anything with them or do you at all? As they become more mature uh, and, and we continually teach them about the uh, the compounding and investing and things like that, I, I think it will be something that uh, we'll be able to, to let them know. Uh, I've sat down with them when I open up my uh, account for individual stock trades and point out, hey, here's how many shares of this company we have. Here's how many that company we have. So they see some big numbers there. But you know, especially my 14-year-old, he he gets some of it. Um, the other ones, whether it's $1,000 or $100,000, they don't quite see the difference in it. My, I think my 10-year-old probably gets it some too. But as they mature, we want to biggest thing we want to be make sure that they understand that if you live smartly, you don't spend um, everything you have, don't go into debt, start investing early, uh, especially explore that entrepreneur path that you're, you will be set financially and uh, hopefully we'll get that instilled in them um, really well. How come you're so adamant about them looking into entrepreneurship? Well, they say what it, uh, the easiest way to financial wealth is entrepreneurship and in a sense, some of the freedoms that it can bring. I've always done little side jobs and side work. I'd mentioned uh, doing woodworking 
uh, custom woodworking previously. I used to sell that woodworking or donate it to charities so they could auction it off. I um, do some odd and end construction for people, build a deck here and there, make some of that extra money. And I really enjoy doing that work. So if I could turn that into a full-time career or allow them to explore things like that, uh, I, th- I think that would be a really good thing as opposed to having to be someplace, work eight hours a day, really be there nine or ten hours a day. Uh, some of those things. I'd like them to have some more freedoms than what I, I've been able to have. I want to close here with a few millionaire questions before we get into to some advice, Jeff. What's the most expensive pair of pants you've ever purchased? Riggs uh, work pants. They're $40, but I buy them on sale for 35 <laughs> What about the most expensive car you've purchased? Uh, a used Honda Odyssey with 100,000 miles on it, 13000 What's the most expensive meal out that you've paid for? Oh, geez. Uh, for my wife and I, it was right around the $100 mark. Okay. That's probably been once in the past 10 years. <laughs> What's the most expensive vacation or experience that you've paid for? Well, oh boy. Oh, my wife and I went to Washington, D.C. three years ago. So we stayed in Airbnb in uh, at that time. Uh, in seven years worth of marriage, it was the longest we'd ever been without uh, a, a child or being pregnant <laughs> by ourselves. So um, that that was a great little getaway that we were able to travel the city and uh, see our nation's capital and and things. So awesome! What is worth spending the money to you? I like spending money on things that. I can make money off of. Uh, so if I can find a, a deal on a good quality tool that I know I can use for generating more money, I, I will do that. Uh, I bought a, a little subcompact tractor last year with some attachments and uh, it's a little bit more, it's, it's a lot more than what I need for the yard that I have. But with those attachments, I'm able to take them out and do some uh, gravel road or drive grading. And I have a big tiller in the back so I can do some tilling work for people or lawn leveling and things like that. So uh, getting good quality stuff that you know will be there and last, uh, I am a big supporter of. Is there anything that's totally not worth spending the money on? I really struggle at spending money on uh, experiences. And I would say since I've realized I'm a millionaire, uh, I, I took the plunge and I took a week's long worth of sailing lessons, something I'd always wanted to do. And it was a lot of fun, but I still struggle at uh, spending money on just entertainment in general. I shouldn't say experiences because some experiences can be totally worth it. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I struggle with that. Interesting. So Jeff, let me ask, as you've gone on this journey, you've built up this net worth, is there anything out there that's like a bucket list item that you're really looking forward to, you know, either in the next five or 10 years, or maybe even down the road in 20 or 20 or more? (laughs) I look forward to my children all moving out of the house. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And and that sounds wrong, but I, I want to see them succeed. And I know life is going to give them a lot of stumbles along the way, but I want to be able to to be there and experience their successes and um, help help them along. Otherwise, some of those life goals certainly uh, 
just complete financial freedom. And I know we're getting, I'm getting closer to that number. And I, I have a feeling my attitude on many things, uh, it's already started to change. And I think it will continue to change once I have that um, financial security uh, or a bit more financial security. And uh, hopefully that will translate into even more opportunities to expand that wealth and, and help others. Awesome, Jeff. Well, you've left a lot of great piece of advice. Is there anything else that you would give as some advice to our listeners or maybe even some mistakes that, that you've made that you'd caution others to avoid as we close up here? Yeah, so one of the things that really worked out for myself is start saving early. Uh, even if you don't know what to invest in, uh, you can find good general uh index funds out there that the key is to just start early, avoid debt. Uh, So much of uh, many people's problems are exacerbated just by the amount of debt they have. I enjoy reading about finance. Not everybody does, but there's so many resources out there that learn as much as you can about finance. When you're, when you're going down that path, there's some good uh, books that are very easy reads that are a wealth of information be free to talking with others about finance if uh, that are interested in it. Uh, and, and one of the things that's really helped myself out is uh, learning how to repair things on your own. Uh, I, I am fairly handy um, and have some good mechanical skills, but anymore with YouTube uh, and, and the internet, even simple repairs on your car, uh, can avoid great expenses that you aren't planning. There's somebody at work just the other day whose car wouldn't start. He was ready to get it towed. I went out there, was able to help him. He just had a dead battery and jumping it had him on his way. So instead of a tow charge and then a repair shop's charge for a new battery, he was able to drive it uh, down the road and just get a new battery put in for a fraction of the cost. Um, those little uh, things add up substantially as time goes on. Awesome. Well, Jeff, appreciate you coming on the show. Net worth of $1.1 million. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.